We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to episode 235 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jay Hilton. As always, I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN, The Guardian. And Frances, Happy New Year. New Year. Same old us, though, I guess. Hola, Gules. Feliz año. Uh, yeah, no, it's um, it's been interesting. I think it's great to know that 2020 is well and truly gone. And looking forward to what 2021 has got in store for all of us. Well, the first match of 2021 for FC Barcelona had more of what we saw in 2020 where they did manage to get the three points. And I want to, before we begin our conversation about that one nothing win over Huesca, we're also going to talk on today's show, Luis Suarez, and maybe some of the things he's doing at Atletico Madrid, and some of the things that Barcelona don't get up top of the number nine position. We're also going to talk about the center back situation that you wrote about for Barcelona.com. But first, again, let's speak about Huesca. And I do want to preface this conversation by saying, Barca did win this game. No matter what we say, Barca did get the three points. They did score more than Huesca. So that is a victory. And that three points counts the same amount if they had beaten Huesca 8-2 like, or whatever it was, 9-1, whatever it was a few seasons ago. Same amount of points, all three, because of a victory. So I do want to preface that by saying that Barca are now in fifth place in a league table with one more victory as they still have one game in hand of fourth place and two games in hand over Real Sociedad, who are in third. So if they get just one more victory on Wednesday against Athletic Club, they wind up launching into third place in the table. For as bad as Barcelona has been, I guess I'll almost begin with that big picture. Frances, for as bad as Barca have been, can you believe that they would find a way to be in third place at this point in the season? Um, yes. Yes, I can. I mean, um, there's been a lot of years in which people have been saying that La Liga was a two-horse race. Um, recently, over the last probably four seasons, maybe five, Atletico Madrid have become the third in Discordia, so the third fiddle up front. But um, no, I mean, Barca have got enough potential to be definitely in the top three of the Spanish league, so that's no surprise. Obviously, the beginnings of this season have been very difficult. Obviously, new coach, new ideas, uh, sort of not a whole, but a significant remodelation of the squad. Um, the new coach that I've already mentioned came with a new formation as well. Not the 4-3-3, especially at the beginning, really. We'll probably talk about this later. But um, different from what Barca normally is, what these players are used to. So put all of that together. Um, all of the youth that has been sort of enabled to grow so far, and hopefully it will continue. Um, I'm not surprised that Barca had a, not a terrible, but a worse start of the season than they've had in many, many years. And 
climbing up to th to third is uh, even though we haven't really done it just yet, so let's not count our chickens. Right, right, right. But being in the top three is is natural. I don't think it's a surprise. Right, and the player that remains with the team and a player that you'd expect is going to be no lower than third or fourth in the Liga is Lionel Messi. And yesterday on my YouTube match, if you can head over there, check that out for tactics and all that, come back here. And Messi, after second looking, I thought he was good in that very fluid position. And to start that match, you could have called it a 4-2-3-1, but we've seen before when Ronald Koeman knows he's going to have a lot of possession against a team that is willing to open up. So we're not talking about Hadafe, we're not talking about Cadiz. We were talking about a team like Huesca and even Celta earlier in the year before they had their managerial change and they look a lot different now. But that 4-2-3-1 was, is, is what is employed to try to control the game. But in matches like this, it really was more like a 4-3-3, except throw out that third part of the trident up top because Messi is so fluid that it really is a 4-3-2 with one player wherever he wanted to be on every line at, at all times. So formations are kind of thrown out the window. That said, I thought Messi was good in that match. I thought he was up to it in his 500th Liga appearance. But then on second look, he only had one key pass. And you know which one that was. Obviously, it's the assist on the goal. Mm -hmm. And then one big chance created the same thing. And happens on the same play. He had six successful dribbles, which is best in the game, but still low by his standards. And once again, I, I think this is probably a different argument, but I was kind of puzzled by the decision to start Busquets. But in a second, we'll get into that. But I think between the performances of Dembele and Messi, you notice that Barca still has enough power to create enough chances, or at least the appearance of enough chances, if somebody is there to put it home. And Brothwaite, I think, is, I guess, the talking point here. Because Brothwaite, at no point in that match that I think he was going to get the second goal, I much more believe that Huesca was going to get the equalizer. But that first goal happens because Brothwaite is occupying that spot in between the center backs. And then De Jong, who was pushed farther forward, so good on Coleman for getting his tactics right here, that Busquets was always behind De Jong, and so De Jong was able to get free and make those runs into the box. And that goal was well set up. It was from the training pitch, 25 yards out, not even in the penalty box yet. De Jong starts those long strides, those long Dutch legs, and then he winds up getting on the end of a superb, superb assist, curling perfectly weighted into the feet of De Jong. Still had a lot to do on the finish, but so that finish... All comes because Brothwaite was occupying the center backs, but he doesn't really hold the ball up. He doesn't really score goals. So other than being a pest, which that's what Barca needs, Barca needs some kind of pest, but you can't tell me that if Ansu Fati isn't in that position at the number nine, who can also score a goal or two or many, many goals, that Barca wouldn't be in a lot better shape. It just, again, a reminder that, you know, I don't want to get, we're going to get a loose words later, but again, a reminder that this board or the previous board, certainly did screw the pooch on not only ripping Brothwaite away from Leganes, because I guess he's the proper position. He's the only guy who can serve that role. So I guess it made sense that they spent what they did when they did. But the fact that that position wasn't replaced, what an indictment. I mean, more than I think any other position on the field, what an indictment of the plan that this season was. Yeah, I think it goes back to the fact that Coutinho and Griezmann and, you know, hopefully we can get Dembele out of that sack of three failures, really. I agree. But with Griezmann and Coutinho, they're not really having any production whatsoever. I mean, I heard some nasty things online and even in Catalonia Radio, which is weird. They don't normally do this. But um, some people were saying that the fact that Coutinho is injured actually could benefit Barca overall. Um, I disagree. I think that any Barca player, I would never be happy for them to be injured, obviously. If I had to pick a player in the whole squad to not really be there for three or four months, I think Coutinho will be quite high in the pecking order for that, to be honest. But I would never be happy of anyone getting an injury. Having said that, if Coutinho had been playing yesterday, I don't think the game changes that much at all. Yeah. Um, in fact, we may have had less possession. We may have been dispossessed even more. And um, all of the little one-twos that Pedri and Messi, who obviously... I think he's one of the talking points, not even of, of the week, but probably of the last two, three months. Those understandings just don't happen and don't, don't build and develop in the way they have. Griezmann wasn't really introduced until I think it was the 80th minute. And that's because Kuman, as he said in the press conference, he trusted Braithwaite more. Um, he said he came to a pick between Braithwaite and, and Griezmann. And that's what him and his, his, his staff decided. Now, would I have given Griezmann more time, given what Martin Braithwaite was offering? Possibly. Um, I think that Kuman once again, waiting far too long for some of the substitutions. But at the same time, 
you see the, the manager is seeing these players coaching through coaching and training every single day. And he must have his reasons. I mean, and it's clear that Martin Braithwaite is improving, even though he was nowhere near fantastic against, against Wesker. But in Kuman's system, we do need a number nine that knows what to do, yeah. which you refer to as pestering and, you know, being there, etc. which is what Luis Suarez always used to do when he was at his peak and continues to do now at a different, in a different way. And, you know, in a different team, which you've already mentioned, we'll talk about later. But overall, Barca do need a number nine. Um, when they are in the counter, they need a number nine that's faster, When, which obviously wasn't the case against Huesca. But when you've got a stable um, opposition, that basically, I was going to say 5-4-1, but it wasn't even that. It was two lines of five, really, throughout the whole match um, until obviously the second half, last 20 minutes changed a little bit. But you need to have someone as a reference, not necessarily just to create spaces for themselves um, and finish themselves, which didn't happen really because there were too many people defending, but to generate spaces for others that, as you mentioned, Messi kept exploiting time and time again, even though the numbers don't really say it. So, yeah, I think if Messi had his shooting boots the right way, uh, like, you know, he was doing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, then yesterday's game is a 5-0, really. But obviously Messi's uh, effectiveness in front of goal is not what it was. Obviously the players around him are not what it was. So that's why it was a narrow win. It's football time. Or for those of you who don't understand, soccer time with Fanatis. Let your Blagrana passion explode and watch Leo Messi, Antoine Griezmann, Ansu Fati, you know the names, and the rest of the Barcelona squad fight to win the Liga title. They're still in it. You can watch the matches from your favorite device, mobile, tablet and even your tv live and on demand no matter where you are you'll be able to tune in enjoy the games with english commentary and never miss a second of messi's magic for 7.99 american dollars a month your passion never stops and when it's football time nothing else matters get a front row seat to la liga with fanatis fanatis the world's largest stadium hey everyone i want to tell you about blue wire hustle a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at blue wire Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Yeah, and I can see those points, and I think one of the important things that they did in that match that you know, almost goes by the wayside because we expect Barca to be doing so, but we expect them to control the midfield. That's something they've been doing for, you know, looking historically back, Barca, one of the main goals that they've always had as a club is to control the middle of the park, going all the way back to the days of Josep Cimetier back in the 20s and 30s. Controlling the midfield has always been at the, at the, the core of what Barcelona is. And th- that's what's made this year so weird because at most... We've, because we don't ever see that 4-3-3, you really never see three midfielders on the field at the same time because Pedri does push so far forward. And Pedri, I saw the stat, nine touches in the opposition's half or in the opposition's box in that match, the most of any player born in 2000 or after in all of world football. So that tells you that Pedri is getting on the ball in very important positions for the club. So it's not a matter of Pedri's position being wrong. He doesn't do his midfield job. Is that Coleman has tactically set up this formation so that... There is a great, great burden on De Jong and Busquets in the middle. And Busquets, once again, I, I feel like every, basically once a month, I get into this on the podcast this season, that the way I look at it is Busquets, I expected him in this game. If Barca were going to find goals, create the chances that they were, and finish them, Busquets makes all the sense in the world. That is where he's played at his best the in, in these seasons, where he winds up just sucking the life out of an opponent. He controls the pace. He controls the game. Unfortunately, Huesca were in that match. They were in it the entire time, and they were willing to, with their game plan, sit back, as you mentioned, with two blocks of five. They were willing to sit in that low block 
and then trust the players like um, Ontiveros, who you look at his advanced metric, he does create, I think he's top five in chances created in all La Liga. And yes, it doesn't end in, in finished product and Rafa Mir. And there are other players. Sergio Gomez is not the player he was when he left La Masia a few years ago, unfortunately, with Bruce Dortmund on loan. So uh, they, while they didn't have the attacking prowess to finish those chances, they're a club that's going willing to stick with their game plan. And so against Busquets in that situation, in that second half when they came alive, that happened because it was a cold, chilly night against Wesca, and Busquets started to slow a little bit. And so those are the moments when I wonder, what is Coleman looking at and where you're seeing a meritocracy? Sure, but it's not an indictment that Busquets doesn't belong in that situation. But when it was Xavi and Iniesta and it was a 4-3-3 and they were cutting out those passing lanes in the midfield, it wasn't even about the defensive greatness of Xavi and Iniesta. It's that there was a system that was built best for what Busquets offers you, profiles you. And I'm not even talking about his age. That's just simply his profile. This is a different Barca than he's ever seen. Again, he's been great this year in matches where he can control the pace, suck the life out of an opponent. But too often this year, because Barca isn't finishing their chances, Busquets winds up sucking the life out of a game that is still very much in the balance. So you wind up watching another team push for that equalizer. And honestly, Pionic isn't making those type of runs either, though, into the box. Mm -hmm. So it's not like there's this oscillating, I mean... When I say double pivot, you almost say you almost work it as pistons, right? That one player goes up, the other player comes back, and there's always cover there. I, I, I'm not saying that uh, about Pooj or, or crying about the players who haven't earned it on the bench. I understand the argument that in training, Alenya, Pooj, Conrad, uh, even Magretha at times, that there are guys that are not impressing Coleman enough to get on the field. But what I don't understand is why Alenya is a better profile for a match like this. Where if you're going to play Alenia, who is a squad player, you didn't send him on a loan, you didn't sell him. If he's good enough to train and be in the team, Huesca, in a, in a match where I feel like his profile, where he can either sit back and let De Young make those runs into the box, or because of the 70% possession they had, De Young can sit back and Alenia can make those runs into the box, and they just oscillate in their way and cover for one another. Alenia has a better profile in this match with Busquets. So again, Mike, it's not about... Coleman picking his favorites or whatever it is. It's looking at the match and saying, tactically, it made more, more sense to play a profile like Alain Yaz against Huesca, the bottom team in the Liga. If there's any time for him to make a uh, make an appearance and play in a match, it's one that was going to fit his profile and they're the, statistically the worst team in the Liga. Busquets can play all the other matches. And that's, I think, what puzzles me a bit. And then, again, you wait till the 75th minute. You wait till the 80th minute. Huesca's already made four subs. And I, I know Coleman's subs haven't been great. But you wait so long to make those subs when Huesca has taken control of that game for 35, 40 minutes. And again, you have to look in the mirror and say, you're FC Barcelona. And if you're playing in that club, these are players that you can trust. So this isn't a rant about Pooch. This is a rant about saying... I'm frustrated that Coleman once again seems to not understand, not not understand. Again, he's a fantastic, not a fantastic manager. But I, here I am. I'm stalling. Frances, please save me from this. I don't want to insult Coleman because he does make a lot of good decisions. And obviously, I'm not Coleman. I can't be the manager of FC Barcelona. Sure. So I have to trust his decisions. But in the same way, I do question this one about why he's going with the personnel he did in this kind of situation. Yeah, um, I cannot really disagree with anything you said, to be honest. And um, our roles as people who run the podcast is to speak our minds. Um, I've, I'm not going to add too much to what you said. I totally understand what you are saying. And I'm sort of trying to squeeze my brains to actually get to know the reasons behind this. And I just don't don't understand it. I think that either Puch or Alanya, as you've mentioned, would be better choices. I think if Pjanic had more continued time, not just 20 minutes in every match, he would actually um, be able to reach the level that was closer to the level he had in Italy. Obviously, the only conclusion that I can get to, which, you know, it's just me thinking, really, the winter transfer window is not shut yet. Obviously, there is still a chance that Alanya and Puig may actually decide to go on loan. If you read and listen to the Catalan media and Catalan radio, they both have offers to go. Uh, I think that um, Real Betis seems to be an option for actually both of them. And there are other suitors as well. So if the club have somehow told Kuma not, I don't know if they've done this, but say they've had said to them, like, don't play them too much, just in case we can actually upload them to free up some space or to, you know, light out the wage bill, for example, then that's the only explanation that I can think of. But I don't know if this is true. Obviously, this is just a superstition. Um, the last point I want to make about the match is the fact that Dembélé did not play on the right. He played on the left. And I think that he associated with Alba really, really well. Um, we are used to, throughout the years, 
always see Jordi Alba overlapping and uh, sort of doing exterior runs and then drift towards the middle um, in terms of crosses towards the middle, not necessarily con conducting, but just crossing it in normally to Messi. Uh, but having Dembele in there reminded me a little bit of how Neymar used to do it with Alba. So Alba didn't always do exterior runs. He was sometimes drifting towards the middle himself. There was a couple of occasions that I was thinking, just do a quick one-two with Braithwaite or with Messi or Pedri, and then you can have the shot yourself, which obviously he doesn't do, which is the annoying part, really. Um, but I think that having Dembele so fresh, um, obviously very, very, um, very recent injury lately, and he sort of has just technically just recovered from it. And as as much as progress, he's going to feel much more confident on his fitness, really, because that's what you what you were looking for. Dembele is a sprinter and his game depends on his speed. But I think that the level of speed and conduction that he had on a couple of runs yesterday, whenever he felt he had space and confidence, was really, 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 really special. And uh, as I said last week, and I've been saying for months, Ansu Fati, Dembele and Messi are the three players in this squad that can make a difference, that can run at opponents, that can beat them, and then make those numerical advantages for everybody else. And I think that having Dembele back at that level is great. And having Dembele at that level with Jordi Alba understanding and adapting and both of them making basically a left flank a million times more effective than a right one speaks wonders to both. And obviously Messi knew this. He was drifting towards the left as well. Pedri, in a way, goes wherever Messi goes, but far away enough so he can coordinate and, and combine, which was great. Obviously, we need to improve what's happening on the right right now because you've taken Dembele out to the other side. But I think I really do think that that was a positive, probably the biggest positive, to take out of the match. Apart from the fact that, <laughs> apart from the fact that we won, and uh, we really needed the points. So there you go. Yeah, I, I go back to it that I know he's injured now, but I think that the best front three that, at least in this system, that Coleman Cook put out would be Fati out of position at the number nine spot, and then Messi fluid on the right, Dembele on the left. Because yes, Dembele has been good on the left, and there are calls that there is some fear about Dest working with Dembele and defensively Coleman is trying to avoid that. I go back to what I said last week. I'll continue to say it. I think when, especially when Roberto comes back, I think the, the start that Dest had coming out of the gate, there was a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. And yes, he's had some, we'll say rough matches since then. But I think he, just like Pedri, just like Fati did last year, I think he needs some rest. And I think He's played more football, these 90 minutes, he's played more football than he's ever had in his whole life. Again, I said it last week, remember, he was a substitute for Ajax, and now he's become thrust into the spotlight of being a starting player for Barcelona. And I would once again remind people that not only is he a teenager, but they're so young in their careers where, yes, Barcelona teaches professionalism at in a way that there's trainers for the trainers, you know, there's, there's sous chefs for the chefs. So there's so many people they're building this system that are supposed to help all these players individually as long as they listen to it. But being a teenager, as far as when to sleep, when to nap, what to put in your body, how to recover, this is a new lesson. These are new things that he has to learn this season on how to play 90 minutes for FC Barcelona with all the emotional pressure. Now, as I've said before, if I had to trust almost any player in FC Barcelona's squad, it's basically PK and Dest as two guys between the ears that I think are going to let everything roll off. And PK lets things roll off a bit much uh, where he only gets serious after they've lost to Bayern Munich. But for PK and Dest, yeah, those are two guys that I don't really worry about harboring those things and, and keeping negativity with them. They seem to let it go rather easily more than everyone else. But all that said, Dest still needs to learn how to be a professional. And that's not an insult. Let's just say that all teenagers, Pedri's probably having the same thing. That's why he had three or four poor matches in a row. And what is it? Beginning of November, end of October, where he played 90, 90, 90, 90 midweek and at the end of the week. And that's why what Messi does playing 90 minutes in the way that he does. That's why not only is he an alien because of what he does with results and statistics, but he's an alien in the way that his body recovers almost like something we've never seen. So I just want to have that quick point on desk because I think we should move on here to talk a little about Luis Suarez and the narrative that he rescues Atletico from drawing from Deportivo Alaves while Barca barely sweep by Huesca. So it's three points for Atletico Madrid, three points for Barcelona, and yet one is praised for the three points because Suarez got it at the death to win that match. And the other is, I, I think, to say Kulazer, this is online more than those, I think, in Catalonia, but there was a little bit of rejection or, or frustration at the lackluster performance against Huesca. But that said, if Barca or if Suarez had rescued Barca in the same way yesterday, 
wouldn't the narrative be because one is three points for Barca and one is three points for Atleti, who are fighting for the league at table? Barca, it would be the same thing, right? That Suarez has to save a lackluster performance for Barcelona and Barcelona just squeaks by. But Atletico squeaks by and because they're contending for their second Liga title in in 10 years, that the narrative is different. And I, then so questions were, should Luis Suarez come or should he ever have been sold in the first place? And I think that the answer is easy. We all agree that uh, he should have left, but also he should have been replaced. I mean, both things can be true. Yes. Um, I was very clear and very insistent um, last year to say that Suarez had to go, not because of what he was offering on the pitch, but also because of his influence within the dressing room. And I stand by it. You know, I, I'm delighted. I'm very happy for him that he's scoring goals at Atletico Madrid. Obviously, he's got a very, very good coach that suits the club that he's playing for, obviously, Atletico Madrid perfectly. Has been in place for eight years. So basically, he owns, he's got the keys to the, to the Vicente Calderón, which is now... Uh, the Metropolitano, obviously. So he's got the keys to the club. And everything he does, people are Atletico respect, people are Atletico understand. And he's got Luis Suarez fired up, he's got Luis Suarez confident, and I'm very happy for, for, for both, really. I'm more happy for Luis Suarez, obviously. Having said that, I do not think for one second, and I don't know if the majority of people would agree with me, but to me, it's quite obvious that Luis Suarez does not perform this season in the same way that he's performing in Atletico if he stays at Barca. Absolutely not. I don't think any coach, definitely not Kuman um, or Setien or Valverde, would have been able to take out anything close to what Simeone is getting out of Luis Suarez right now. Um, also, Barca are a team that always have possession, that always are attacking. Atletico, even though they're more attacking now than ever, to be fair, um, they play in a different way. It's much more rough. It's more, much more direct. And uh, because of the help that Suarez has around him at Atletico, you know, plenty of speed, plenty of wing, plenty of uh, freshness around him and a clarity of what they're doing, then Suarez is excelling and doing what he does best. I mean, the guy could be 97 years old. He's still going to score a cracker um, every three matches. That's always <laughs> going to happen for him. But was he right? Was he the right piece that Barca let's say he's missing now. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think someone like Suarez four or five years ago is what we need now. But the Suarez of 2021, based on the Suarez of 2020 that we saw before, you know, the lockdown hit and even after lockdown returned, you know what I mean? So that's not the Suarez that we needed. And I think that the vast, I'm not on Twitter, as probably everyone knows by now, but I'm assuming the vast majority of people who were shouting Suarez, you know, needs to get a wheelchair. Suarez cannot move. Suarez is too heavy. Suarez this, Suarez that are the same ones that are claiming for him to come back and, you know, make a star in return right now. So I think that you need to be coherent in what you're saying. And the last point I will make, if Luis Suarez does stay, I don't think you get Pedri getting that many minutes. Ansu Fati at the beginning of the season doesn't get that many minutes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that overall it is good that Suarez did move on because he just wasn't offering Barca what he had offered in the past. And it was time for someone else to take over. Unfortunately, the board did not prepare well for it. Right. It's short term versus long term that if Barcelona are able to somehow scrounge enough money or, or get enough wages off the wage bill over the summer to bring in an actual number nine for next season, then not only will this all be forgotten, even if Athletic Madrid, Atletico Madrid wins the Liga title, it's almost uh, not even almost. It's much more palatable for Atletico Madrid to win the title than Real Madrid. I, I think in hindsight, same thing with when David Villa. It, it is a parallel because David Villa in the same way was sold for whether it was first options that never came to fruition or whatever it was that David Villa was sold for. I believe it was six million, I mean, eight million euros at the time, which was way too low for a World Cup winner, even at the position he had been in at his age, because, you know, he came to the States here and four or five more years of, of prime David Villa basically here right in my backyard. So for David Villa and for Luis Suarez, it was time to go when they went. It made sense. But again, if a new number nine is brought in, then it will all be forgotten quickly. And I, I want to remind people, Luis Suarez, four goal, four games rather in the Champions League, no goals in the Champions League for Atletico Madrid. So things do continue there for, for him with no goals in the Champions League, at least on the road for Barcelona. So nothing new, but Nine goals and two assists, that's what people are talking about, combining the total output. And this is the only reason this is a talking point, and it's the only reason they're talking about on the internet, is that if Brothwaite, Griezmann, Coutinho, and Dembele were putting the ball in the back of the net, 
Again, there's no talking point at all. It's not about Luis Suarez. It's more about Barcelona not putting the ball in the back of the net through the players that we like to call forwards. And again, no debate. We're not debating anything here because Suarez, uh, Barca failed to replace him. And the question is now if they actually have a replacement lined up, so they actually have gotten rid of Suarez. But yeah, the answer is yes there. And they should be saving up for a big talent. And as you said, Suarez and Messi defending together was the big problem that they are best friends they do love each other and even on Instagram they're always going back and forth and stuff and they support each other but them together didn't make any sense this whole team not as it's not built around Suarez but Joao Felix plays that free role for Atletico Madrid very much like Messi but he's also 10 years younger and defends like he's 10 years younger and somehow Diego Simeone has got him to dig in but the times when Joao Felix doesn't seem to fit the formation or they that being Atletico Madrid need to dig in a little bit more Felix doesn't play and he's actually had, there's a number of times, and he's come off the field and has looked dejected and has looked frustrated as many Portuguese superstars. I can't think of any other who've ever played in Madrid that have been, looked dejected when they come out. The point is, can you imagine if Luis Suarez stays on the field for 90 minutes and Messi's taken out in the 81st minute, right? If you think Zhao Felix looked frustrated, can you imagine the stink eye that Messi would be getting if he was taken out tactically? Because as you mentioned, Diego Simeone does have full confidence of the the people of uh, the fans and the Colsoneros of Atletico Madrid because of what he's built there, which has only still led to one La Liga title and a few more other, other titles as well, but uh, the minor ones even. And that 4-4-2 structure as well that we talked about the midfield, you know, we talked about Busquets being overrun a bit when there's, you know, there's they're, they're, the, other, the opposition is getting out on the break and the other team is working hard to put him under pressure. But then for Atletico Madrid, whether it's Coque, Marcos Llorente, and you, I know he's a former Real Madrid youth player and he couldn't break in there, but if there's one player from the Liga I think I would try to take from his squad and put right into Barcelona, it's Marcos Llorente because I think he fits perfectly what Barcelona would need, or at least Coleman would need in that midfield. But anyway, Angel Correa, one of the one of the forwards, watch how Correa defends in comparison to even how Dembele defends and the positions that they take up. And then Thomas Lamar, same thing. If he wanted to play for Atletico Madrid, it took him just like Coutinho, just like Griezmann. He was a big, big signing, but he wasn't allowed to play. He was on the bench until he proved to Diego Simeone that he could do the defensive job. And now the offensive job, after what more than almost a year and a half of signing, is finally coming to fruition. Kondobia, who was brought in basically just to, as you said, hack people down in the midfield. And that's exactly what he's doing. But he's still, I think he's just turned 30 or something. So he's just quick enough, or 29, whatever he is. He's just quick enough to, to break out counterattacks in that way. And then Carrasco on the other side, basically playing as a wing back, even though he's a left winger. So imagine if... Dembele is the one who's tasked with being the left winger. Same situation. And then one of my favorite players in the league as well in Saul. And Saul is almost forgotten in all the rest because uh, he's, again, a top, top player defensively that does his job. And offensively, he's played a left back. He's played at the center of uh, in center of the pitch. Wherever he's asked to play, he plays for Diego Simeone because, and again, you nailed the point here, that Diego Simeone has the confidence of that club in a way that Ronald Koeman, Ernesto Valverde, even going back to him, obviously Kike Setien, just have not had the confidence to be able to do and ask these big players, hey, we need you to play this. Or Busquets, hey, you're actually only going to play a third of the minutes this season, but when you do play, I, you need to be a main contributor. You have to control the pace of these match and do what you've been doing well for 15 years. So, uh, I mean... Luis Suarez, the part goes back to him, 21 goals last season, but he is completely supported, even with the athletic, Atletico Madrid center-back situation. Jimenez, Felipe, uh, Hermoso was brought in from Espanyol, so Atletico Madrid, even with Diego Godin gone, they've tried to fill the needs they had to. So uh, there's a reason Atletico Madrid are title contenders. I know this is a completely different thing about why Atletico Madrid are first in the table, but this is why they did all the things that Barcelona failed to do this season. For sure. Luckily, we've got an election coming up. Um, not that many days to go now. Uh, the different candidates are bringing up different ideas. And basically, regardless of who we win, who wins, which obviously would be either Victor Fon or Laporta, most likely Laporta really at this stage, um, then we will have a new board, a new president, hopefully a fresh influx of, of ideas. I mean, both of them do trust La Masia uh, first and foremost, which is already better than what we have right now and what we have over the last five years, really. And uh, they ho can hopefully make some decisions. I'm not too hopeful they'll be able to do many signings just now for this current window because they'll have to see what finances are like from the get-go and then they won't really have physical time, I don't think, to pull the trigger in any signings. Uh, but, you know, coming ahead to next season, they should have enough time to plan. And uh, once the season is out of the way, then let's see what they can come up with. 
Yeah, and let's pivot here to talk about the center back situation because you wrote this week, Eric Garcia shouldn't come in January. Not I, we're, We've been agreeing way too much in the last few weeks, but it's because the way that when the club is doing poorly, there's only so many things you could do to fix things. So I think we keep rehashing the same ideas. And I think Eric Garcia, he can sign a pre-contract. It'd be a free transfer in the summertime. And obviously, Barca don't even have the funds now. And Man City, having the money they do, they have no reason to sell for a reduced cost unless they want to lose him for nothing. But what do they care if they lose him for 10 million euro? That's nothing to the Man City pocketbook. It will help with financial fair play, but we also know, I almost, I, I, I know I said that with a straight face, but that was actually a complete joke. <laughs> financial fair play in Man City, you kind of have to laugh to put that in the same sentence. But anyway, here we go. So Barca's current center back situation, picking on the shelf and questions about his career past this season, I think. I mean, even after this injury, even if he heals properly, I know he forego, he forewent surgery to be able to come back and let it fully heal, but still, it's going to be a question about PK in the long in the long run. He is 33, reminder. Uh, Langley, obviously he's sticking around, not his best season. Umtiti, almost back to a point where you could sell him, but also he's on huge wages, so Umtiti questions, sure. Araujo and Mingueza, we've seen where they are, and Mingueza is still actually registered with both, so he can still play for Barca B, Ken Mingueza. And then Eric Garcia reportedly going to arrive on a free from Man City in the summer. So basically put Eric Garcia, whether or not you want to, put him in next season squad. That's going to have, that's where he's going to be. And I know people haven't been sold on him, but listen, the minute that that former Catalan or not former, but he's still a Catalan and former yes. La Masia, should I say, <laughs> player, when he puts on that jersey and he puts on that crest that he believes in, just give him a chance. I know people don't want to give him a chance because he's leaking in goals for Pep in Man City, but give him a chance when he comes. And Todibo is out on loan at Benfica. Right now he's currently swimming in the Portuguese sea because they won't let him play there either. As I've said before about Tadebo, when he came at 18, looked really good uh, right out of the gate. Then he was 19, started against Inter Milan, looked really good. But from 18 to 20, now, I mean, 21, 22, whenever he's done with this loan, it could be next year, even though Benfica is probably going to cut it short. We don't know where he's going to be in his career. You cannot, as a center back, not play. I mean, you played the position, Francis. You cannot play. I mean, uh, you cannot not play. There we go. Double negative. You cannot not play from the age of 18 to 22 and expect to to get any better. At 18, he was one of the most promising center backs in the world, and that is not the case anymore because he hasn't played. And there are mm -hmm. some physical tools, there are some things still there, but uh, big question marks around him. And then Arnaud Kamas is a player that I've been impressed with with Barca B at the center back position, and he's still just 20, so he could factor in as well promotions in the next year or two to see how his progress goes. So with all those names, Frances, I would expect that only four of them are going to be with the Barca first team next year. And I, I think I'll say, quite frankly, what is the center back situation next year? Who are those four names? And if you're Coleman, who doesn't really care about next year, so he's probably just going to trust whoever he's going to trust. But let's say you were hypothetically the manager of Barcelona next year. Who would you hope played the most minutes down the stretch here? The most minutes, I would say... Well, give me the I four first. On... Give me the four first. The four? For next Piqué, year. Piqué, Araujo, Lenglet, Garcia. Yeah, and then Mingueza coming off Barca B, really. Um, if he does well enough in the next five, six months and establishes himself as an option in the first team, then maybe have five because obviously he can double up as we weirdly saw against Huesca as a right back as well if desperately needed. Well, he uh, he did play that. he he did play Barca B at right back uh, like seventy five percent of the time. So he is yeah, a yeah. center back by trade, but he is often a right back because even for Barca B, he wasn't going to be center back. So <laughs> more on, there you go, there you go. I know, I know, but the thing is, he looked really out of position yesterday. Obviously, it's a very small sample yeah. size, that's why I said it like that. But um, regardless, I think that Piquet has to play. I think that Piquet has been really, really missed this season. I know that he gets enorm an enormous amount of criticism, but, you know, he is El, el Mariscal. You know, he is the one that has got the experience, the know-how, and can help the others. Obviously, Piquet, even when he was younger, he was so much better playing alongside Puyol than anybody else. I think that Piquet has, for the vast majority, if I dare say so, um, of his career, been the second best in whatever defense he's played in. Uh, even with Spain, he plays alongside Sergio Ramos. So between the two of them, you know, I think Sergio Ramos is more of the leader there. At the beginning of his career, Puyol was more of the leader there. Then he, when he had to lead the Barca backline by himself, it wasn't just the same, even though obviously he's very good on the ball. And uh, he's got that, that the vast majority of centre-backs that I've already mentioned don't really have. Um, but I think that Piquet is now in a position and has been in a position for the last two, three years in which he has to become the leader. But undoubtedly, he's not as fast as he used to be. 
undoubtedly he's not always as focused as he used to be. So he needs someone to to me right now. Araujo is the to me the starter next year. Even though, even though say everyone that I mentioned is fair, I think Araujo is the starter because the guy has got a really really high ceiling. I think the highest ceiling of everyone that we're mentioning, even including Eric Garcia, based on what I've seen in there. Um, very strong, very sort of commanding in the air, um, decent on the ball as well, very confident, has the, re- this is very important, has got the respect of the whole of the dressing room, including Messi, obviously, is Messi going to be there next year is the big question, which we've already mentioned far too many, for far too many hours, so I'm not even going to go there, but has definitely has the support and respect of all of the dressing room, and I think that his performances speak for themselves. Um, Lenglet being the third centre-back when any of the others are unavailable, I mean, it is to be expected that Piquet will be injured at some stage. I'm, you know, 34 years old. So Lenle coming on shouldn't be a terrible choice. And uh, Eric Garcia coming on shouldn't be a terrible choice either. So I think between the four of them, plus Mingueza, as we've already mentioned, it's a much better choice and a much better combination than we've got today. Obviously, with the ones that I picked, that means that Umtiti goes somewhere else and some... No, I'm not going to say the word I was going to say, but some other club, some other senseless club, deciding to pay his wages based on his performances on the pitch. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't want to devalue MTT by talking on the podcast, but obviously, you know, Barca would be stronger at economical and even sporting level, to be honest, based on what we've seen the last two years if MTT wasn't with us. Yeah, his wages are just too high. Ideally... Yeah. I'd want Umtiti over Langley. I've said that for a long time. Not even 2018 Umtiti. I think Umtiti just moves the ball better than Langley. He fits what FC Barcelona ideally would like to do. And Barcelona have been a long way from ideal Barcelona. But Umtiti is what I would prefer. But that's never going to happen. He's just never going to get back to his former level. I know he's still just 27, which is such a shame. And I, I think to your point about next season, Araujo being the starter next to PK, the only question would be, is Langley too expensive uh, his wages aren't that high, but I think he's supposed to get a raise, which was then reduced after the, the salary cut. So the point is, Langley, is he just too high profile at this point after starting at FC Barcelona to be the third center back, to be the backup there? I think Eric Garcia wouldn't come back to the club if he didn't understand that he's going to take over for PK, but PK's career is slowing down and Garcia's still, uh, by being the third center back, or the backup at the right center back position for PK, when, as you said, he inevitably gets injured, I think is a perfect goal for Eric Garcia next year. And Araujo, I do have a bone to pick, not with Araujo, but actually with, uh, I know you don't definitely don't do this, but the FIFA video game, I do, I do pop that in every now and again. And his pace on that game, FIFA, EA, they've got to get this figured out because his pace is way too low. Because one of the things I will say is, and they have it on record here that, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of club propaganda, but Ronald Araujo is one of the fastest players in all of the Liga. And so uh, they've got to definitely up that a little bit. It's like way down below where you'd expect, I think it's equal to or less than Langley. So you got to get that figured out because Araujo could run rings around around uh, Langley. And I think you're right that even though he is right-footed, Araujo at the left center back next to PK is still going to make sense. And I think Araujo as a leader, I saw even with Barca B when he arrived two seasons ago, Pimienta helped him not only get better on the ball with his passing and his dribbling, but he also helped him become a better leader than he did. And that is why I think Araujo, a big, 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 big reason why that Barca B wound up making the run they did into the third division playoffs last year. He was just such a leader at the back. He got big goals when he had to. And I think those things will come at first team level. So yeah, I'm totally with you on Araujo. And then Eric Garcia, as I said, as the backup, that makes sense to me. And I would take Umtiti over Langley. But again, at his wages, Umtiti, you just have to get him. You have to convince Lyon or Marseille or some club that's going to get the financial incentive of having a French World Cup I, I don't know why I quoted there, but to having a French World Cup winning superstar, if you will, back at your club and what that does for your marketing team and what that does for having a French star like that. Now, uh, Griezmann, yeah, that'd be a great position for him to be in too, but <laughs> I think only PSG would be the ones to be able to do that. So, you know, every time, especially with January, the reason I'm saying this now on the 4th of January, every time I hear about a veteran center back that is being drummed up by that player's agent, I, I just, I want to puke. You know, Mustafi from Arsenal, like, give me a, give me a break. <laughs> Come on. Like, I don't care who you're thinking about. Jason Murillo, I mean, again, like, that loan. Come on. Like, there's no way that that center back position should be. Uh, I, I know Coleman has said that they're thinking about it, but 
do not bring in a 31-year-old or a 29-year-old center back that is frozen out at some other club because you think that you're going to get the best out of him. Just go with Araujo. Mingueta, if you have to, as I said, I, if, if Comas continues in the spring the way he did in the fall, I would certainly trust him in the occasional match as well at the center back position. So yeah, there's enough there, even without PK, just survive this season. And if Ter Stegen can get back to his best, which I, I picked him for my man of the match against Huesca, did some soul searching. It's probably actually De Young as, as uh as the uh, <laughs> Catalan radio said. So it is probably De Young. But Ter Stegen, I don't want to, we didn't even mention him in the Huesca discussion, but He's the reason why that game ended with a zero in the shutout, but the defense was just good enough as well with Ter Stegen behind him. So, Frances, I once again, I'm going to give you the last word on here. Right, as a center back, are you worried of the center back situation at Barcelona or in the long term? Do you actually think that we're not in that bad of a position? Good question. Um, I don't think we've got a center back pairing, even with the four or five that we picked to win the Champions League next year, hmm. to be honest. Um, I think that if you want to compete at the highest level, which is what Kules want, um, to be honest, is what Kules have come to expect over the last 20, 25 years. I think that a team that has a 34-year-old Piquet and a 21, 22-year-old Araujo has started, which I just said before, not really going to compete for the Champions League, are we? Uh, but the thing is, we need to be realistic on where we are. We need to be realistic on the fact that, you know, we are growing. I think that if we continue to grow, finances get better, we can somehow sell Umtiti, Coutinho, and even Griezmann, to be honest, and get some return in there, maybe invest in bringing someone who is really good, who will make the difference, like Haaland, for example, or even a centre-back like Kunde from Sevilla, then I think that you're properly investing and you're properly improving the squad, and then we're talking. But with the current situation, and I know it's great to trust the youngsters, and you know, to be honest, we don't have another choice, <laughs> Um, in terms of economics and in terms of sporting, then I don't think we can challenge for the Champions League next season. Maybe La Liga, uh, if uh, Atletico Madrid sort of take the full accelerator a little bit and Madrid don't really get their act together, we could challenge for La Liga next year. But challenging with the Bayern Munichs of, of, of the European world football stage, not just yet, not this season, not next season, unless we get an influx of money from God knows where. Well, I would say about the Champions League point as they wrap up the show that other than Bayern Munich last year, and you do have occasionally, I mean, you could argue maybe Liverpool even, and then Barcelona themselves, there for every Champions League winner are at least one position that are question marks going to the final. You even get suspensions. You think back uh, all the way to the dream team, Sampdoria, Guillermo Amor. If you thought that Barcelona in 1992 were going to win the Champions League without Guillermo Amor, there would have been big question marks. But they were able to do it. They got the job done in that match. And so the Champions League final, it, it anything could happen as long as you get there. So I would say that if this is a team that's going to be a center back pairing next year that's good enough to win the Liga, which I think Barca should once again be trying to contend with, we are going to talk about names like Holland, not because of the January transfer window. I mean, what a shock would that be? But we're talking about the summertime. But uh, And there are debates, obviously, if Holland would fit at Barcelona or not. So we're going to save those for another time when it's more realistic because uh, the January transfer window is not when that's going to happen. But no, no. for yeah, for next year, I'd say uh, if Barcelona are good enough to make it in the Liga, then who knows what's going to happen in Champions League. You never, you never truly know. Uh, yes, is Barcelona definitely not going to ha- be holding up the title this season in the Champions League, I mean? Sure. But, I mean, that's, what, there's a 98% chance that they're not, they're, they don't win, but they also have Messi, they also have good players, they also have the likes of still Busquets, still De Young, still, I mean, Griezmann, Dembele, Afati coming back in February. So, as much as Barcelona, it seems like, even after against, like, a win against Wesca, it seems like Barcelona can barely do it. I end this show, and I bookend it with the fact that for a transition weird season the way it's been where Barca haven't been good enough, by Thursday, they could be sitting at third in the table. And they could still be in the Champions League round of 32 against PSG, or round of 16, rather, mm-hmm. against PSG. And they could still, obviously, they're in the Copa del Rey that hasn't even started yet. And they also have the Supercopa, so they could win that trophy. So, I, you know, until they lose the trophies, until they lose those matches, then it's not over. And the spring is obviously mm-hmm. when Barca do their, do, do their winning. So if this whole fall, if this whole first half of the season was all about building for the second half, and Coleman's going to drum up some results, Hey, again, new year, new us, right? <laughs> That's how we end it. Trying, trying, trying to be new us, trying to be new us. Um, we can win. I don't think we will. No, I don't either. But 
<laughs> but we can. That's the point. But we we we've got tools, enough tools to win. Um, I think that if the players get their act together, if Kuman sort of ticks with the formation, uh, if Griezmann gets back to the player that he is, not that he was. I'm going to say that he is. But it's, it must be hidden there somewhere. If Messi gets his shooting boots back on, uh, if Des continues to grow and gets away, you know, from the current fatigue that he's got. If Jordi Alba and Dembele continue to associate the way they did against Wesco or even better on the left, if Ansu Fati returns, if Pedri continues to grow, if the young continues to do those overruns and sort of going from the second to the front line and get a couple of goals here and there, if Pjanic is given playing time and he actually does what he can do, then we do have a chance. Of course we do. But, you know, there's a lot of ifs that have to correlate and align for that to happen. Yeah, a lot of ifs, but I hope the only if that you don't have is if whether you should continue to listen to the, the uh, Barcelona podcast next week. I hope the if is a yes for next week because that's when we will be back in your ears. So thanks so much for tuning in to this show. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media. I know Frances says he's not on Twitter, but we are on Twitter at the Barcelona pod or at Hilton D13 for me on Instagram at the Barcelona pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash groups, deeper dive discussions. They also ask LaRonda questions periodically throughout the weeks. Patreon, that's where we continue to make these shows, or that's where you can continue to help us make these shows, tvpod.link backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube if you're watching this. I know I finally got my green screen for those listening, but yes, I finally got my green screen. Frances, his wife, my wife, they pressure me into it. I think it makes my head look a little tinier than normal, but I think we're going to lose the, we're gonna lose the listeners. But here we are That's with the beautiful. green screen. We're both set up in that way. So if you do want to watch us on YouTube as well, just download the podcast and then watch us on YouTube. On uh, That's the Barcelona podcast as well. So check us out there. Hit that subscription button. And as always, though, thanks for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.